What are you looking forward to? Is there something in the future that you're holding out for and you just can't wait? Quite often in our house, someone will say, oh, look, I can't wait till next week, uh, next month, because it's going to be school camp or I'm going to get a badge on assembly or I'm going to see grandma or grandpa. Uh, What is it for you? Maybe you've bought something online and you keep checking your mailbox. Uh, Maybe it's a big family event, a wedding, a baby. Uh, Maybe you can't wait for year 12 to finish uh, to get out into the next stage of life. Uh, Maybe there's not something like that for you. The future is uncertain or you can see difficulties and struggles ahead and you're not looking forward to that. We've been listening to the prophet Micah for the last couple of weeks. If you'd been living in Israel or Judah 700 or so years before Jesus, the future was looking pretty bleak. Last week we heard Micah's warning that Jerusalem's future was destruction. The city on a hill was going to be brought down to the ground. The great throne of the sons of David and the temple of the Lord was going to become overgrown ruins. There were plenty of false prophets happy to ignore the evil and corruption rife in God's people. Plenty of false prophets saying, don't worry, God will never let anything bad happen. But what Micah had to say about the future was bleak. Uh, This is what he says at the end of chapter 3, Micah 3, 12 is up on the screen. Therefore, because of you, Zion, that's another name for Jerusalem, Zion will be be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Now, if that's the future, what's the point? You may as well throw in the towel because what can you do? Well, Micah's message doesn't stop at the end of chapter 3, although we've got a chapter break and there's a bigger part and there's a definite change in direction in chapter 4. Chapters 3, 4 and 5 are actually all one big message. God's message to his people 700 years before Jesus is that very soon severe judgment is coming, but that's not the end of the story. Jerusalem might get pummeled to the ground, but that's not the ultimate future for his people. So have a look at Micah 4, starting at verse 1. This is Micah 4, verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah's message is that God's judgment and punishment is coming, but on the other side is glory. What's so special about Jerusalem for the people Micah is speaking to? Well, Jerusalem is the city where God's king has his throne. The throne of David is there. It's also the place where heaven and earth 
meet. If you want to go and be in God's presence, you go to the temple in Jerusalem. Micah's saying, a time's coming when not only will he and the other faithful Israelites recognise this, that this is the place of God's king and of the place of, for the presence of God, but people from every nation will see that Jerusalem is the best mountain in the world because it's the place you meet with the living God. Micah knew the nations were coming to Jerusalem very soon. But they'd be coming with swords raised. They'd be coming to bring God's judgment. But that's not the full story for the future. One day, people will stream in wanting to listen to God's word. Did you hear that in verse 2? I reckon that's a bit surprising. You'd think when the nations stream into Jerusalem in verse 2, remember, Jerusalem's the place God's people go to offer sacrifices. You'd think the next sentence would be, they stream in so that we can do religious things, so we can pray or sing or offer sacrifices. That's not Micah's vision. They're going to come to Jerusalem, to the presence of God, to hear the word of God and to live God's way. Though that shouldn't surprise us, should it? Uh, Mike has been saying uh, the problem with God's people is false worship. Yes, they're worshipping idols, but it's also their false worship means they live in corrupt ways. God's people were not living God's way. But here we see an amazing future. Notice Israel's not mentioned at all in these first two verses. It's the nations, the pagans, the Gentiles who come to God's place seeking to live God's ways, doing what Israel failed to do. And when the nations stream to Jerusalem, this multinational, multicultural gathering of people is going to live in a time of peace and Provision. So look again from verse 3. He, God, will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. We've heard lots about God's judgment, his punishment in Micah. And in verse 3, we hear about it again. What's it say? Verse 3, when God judges, it will be the end of conflict and fighting. Why is this? Well, think about how Micah says God's punishment will come. We heard it back in chapter 1. It's going to come as the land is invaded, as cities are destroyed and people are taken as prisoners of war. Sometimes God uses one nation as his instrument of judgment. When Assyria conquered the northern kingdom, when Babylon conquered the southern kingdom, these wars were the judgment of God on his disobedient people. So part of the promise is there's going to be no more need to train for war because on this day, when the nations stream into Jerusalem, there's no longer going to be any need for God to judge through war because judgment will be done. But war is not always 
direct punishment for sin. War is just as much the outworking of greed and pride and evil desires. And so this promise that there's going to be no need to train for war and this hope that one day we might turn all our military equipment into farm tools, swords into shovels, tanks into tractors, the reason this will be true is because there will be true peace. God will have judged and destroyed those who would wage war out of selfish desires. And the nations will have learned to walk in the paths of God. We won't need armies because there'll be no sinful desires, both for the armies to enact, but also for the armies to protect us from. There'll be peace. And God's grace is really on show in verse 4. Grace is more than mercy. Mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. Grace is getting good things you don't deserve. Mercy is when you're guilty and when the judge says you don't have to go to jail. Grace is when you're guilty and not only does the judge not send you to jail, but he welcomes you into his family and feeds and houses and clothes you. And that's what we see in verse 4. Life under your own vine and your own fig tree. It's an idyllic picture. Siesta in the shade. Uh, You just have to reach up and there's some grapes, there's a fig. Uh, You can feed yourself with barely any effort. This picture is more than peace. Yes, you're not standing guard with a, a hand on your sword. It's a picture of peace, but also provision. God providing all your needs, wanting for nothing. It sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree, don't you wish it was true? But Micah says, we're not there yet. We're not at the time when the nations are streaming into Jerusalem, but no matter what, he says to his people 700 years before Jesus, we're not there yet, but no matter what, we're going to stick with God. Verse 5, all the nations may, at this time, they may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Uh, Back in verse 2, the picture is of the nations coming to learn how to walk God's ways. Verse 5, we see that for God's faithful people, walking his ways starts now. Uh, One of Australia's most well-known and influential theologians, Colin Buchanan, uh, in a training course called Just Start Talking, he gives an example of how he explains eternal life. He says something like, eternal life is life with God that starts now and lasts forever. Starts now, lasts forever. That's what Micah's saying here. Walking in God's ways doesn't start sometime in the future. It starts now for God's people. Uh, You sometimes hear people say they don't have time for God now. But when I'm on my deathbed, just before my, my last breath, then I'll turn to God and ask for forgiveness. It doesn't add up, does it? If you don't want to know God now, why would you want to know him for eternity? 
that's the contrast of verse 5. We've seen this great picture in the first four verses of a time when the pagan nations will come to the Lord. But for now, Micah says, for now they can walk in the ways of their gods. In fact, many of the Israelites were walking in the ways of their gods. But Micah is calling and saying, I'm going to do this and I invite you to do it too. He's going to live God's way forever starting today. Now in those first four verses, the focus has all been on the nations, the pagan nations, the nations which have been Israel's enemies. One day they're going to come to Jerusalem, not with weapons, but with garden tools. They're coming to be part of God's people. But so far, this vision has just been about, mainly been about the nations. But in verse 6, we find out what the future holds for Israel. On the other side of judgment, there's good news for Israel. Uh, Verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Uh, The words God uses to describe his people shows what they're about to go through. He calls them exiles and a remnant. Exiles means they're going to be taken from their homes as prisoners of war or they'll flee their homes as refugees. A remnant means not everyone's going to survive the exile. In fact, not many will survive. But calling them the lame is not just saying they're weak or vulnerable. It's meant to make us think about Jacob, not the nation of Israel, but the individual Jacob right back in the book of Genesis. Jacob, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, the twin brother of Esau. In Genesis 32, we read this strange event where Jacob wrestles with God. I take it it's God the Son before the incarnation, but still in some sense clothed in humanity, and God and Jacob wrestle and fight until dawn. Uh, During this fight, uh, Jacob's hip is injured and he walks away limping or lame. It's the same word. When God says he's gathering the lame and the lame will become a strong nation, it reminds us of Israel's origins. Because on that day, as Jacob limps away from wrestling with God, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And throughout their history, they've been wrestling with God, refusing to submit, to obey. But God says, on this day, the limping nation will once again be strong. The kingdom will be like the days of David and Solomon. The former dominion will be restored. But this new dominion is going to be better than the first Because it's not just going to be the people of Israel, but the nations too, streaming to Jerusalem, living under their own vine and their own fig tree. 
in the context of the bad news that Micah has given God's people, imagine how this future gives hope. Hope to endure many limping years. Now these words were spoken by Micah 2,700 years ago. The question for us us to ask is, what does the fulfilment of this future really look like? Because look back at verse 1, uh, the promise of the temple in Jerusalem being raised higher than every other mountain. Well, Mount Zion itself is not much of a mountain. It's only 765 metres above sea level. Mount Kosciuszko, the highest point in Australia, is more than 2,000 metres above sea level and Mount Kosciuszko is nothing in the scheme of things. What's Micah getting at when he says Mount Zion is going to become the highest mountain in the world? Does he mean God's going to do some impressive earthworks, pulling every other mountain down or pushing Jerusalem up? And he talks about the nations, and I take it, we're part of those nations, none or not many of us are descended from Israel. If we're trusting in the God of the Bible, well, I've never been up the mountain of the Lord, and I assume that few, if, if, if any of us have ever been to Jerusalem, does that mean that we're not obeying Micah chapter 4? The future hasn't eventuated that Micah was... And and more than these practical questions about picking up mountains and putting them down, how does this fit with what Jesus said? When Jesus spoke with a Samaritan woman, she asked him whether the true worship of Yahweh was to happen on Mount Zion or Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim. Who's picked the right mountain? Micah tells us which one they should have picked, but she's asking which one picked the right mountain, the Samaritans or the Jews? And Jesus answered her, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Hang on. Jesus is saying Jerusalem's not that important in God's future. What's going on? Well, when Jesus comes, he shows us God's truth with greater clarity. It's always there. The gospel, Christ is present in the Old Testament, but we don't always have eyes to see. We need to remember that question I asked earlier. What's significant about Jerusalem? What's it mean? Why is it significant? It's the location of the throne of God's king and it's the location of the temple, the place of God's presence on earth. In John 12, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he said to the crowd, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, he's talking about the crucifixion, I will draw all people to myself. Where's Jesus going to draw all people? Where are the nations going to stream? To Jesus. Now, how does this fit with Micah? Well, Jesus is God's king. And he is the presence of God in the flesh. Jesus is the fullness of what Jerusalem pointed to. This is something many Christians seem to be confused about. In the last few weeks, with everything going on in the Middle East, plenty of Christians have looked to places like Micah 4 and thought, maybe this is the moment. 
when the temple in Jerusalem might get rebuilt and when God might make Mount Zion really tall and finally we can go to Jerusalem and learn to live God's way. No, Micah was talking about Jesus. Jerusalem, God's king and God's presence come together in Jesus. Our hope isn't tied up in a hill in the Middle East. In fact, the Bible says what Micah described is actually not a future hope for us. It is now for us in Jesus. What Micah saw as the future is now for us in Jesus. Uh, In Hebrews 12, I'll put it up on the screen, but it's probably a bit small. I reckon this is a chapter in your Bible. It's worth knowing how to find in your Bible. So do turn there. In Hebrews 12, we're told the nations already have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. What Micah looked forward to has come to pass as believers are united to Christ by faith and are gathered spiritually to the heavenly Mount Zion. So Hebrews 12, I'm going to start reading from verse 22. Hebrews 12:22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. If you're trusting in Jesus, this is true right now. Like Colin says, eternity is life with God beginning now and lasting forever. In one sense, in a true sense, the nations are already streaming to the heavenly Jerusalem as people hear the good news of Jesus and by the spirit their hearts are opened and they trust in Jesus and walk in God's ways. Eternity has begun now. But we do have a future hope. Micah's promise of the limping people restored to strength and the the nations coming to live God's way, yes, it's true now, but there's a future hope as well. The future we're looking forward to is when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down to earth, when Jesus makes all things new. Uh, In Revelation 21, John tells us uh, what he saw Uh, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And this city, this heavenly Jerusalem, is described in symbolic ways as being the place where God's people, both the nation of Israel and his people from all nations, come to live in peace and provision. Uh, Verse 12 uh, says, It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The remnant of the 12 tribes will live in this city. And verse 14 The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Uh, The apostles, those who took the good news to the world. And he goes on to explicitly say the nations are streaming into this new Jerusalem. In verse 24 it says, the nations will walk by its light 
and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. What's the fulfillment of Micah 4? What's, what's the hope that Micah was looking for, that we are looking for? It's, it's not to do with a hill in the Middle East. It's fulfilled as people are drawn to Jesus. And its final fulfillment is when Jesus returns, makes all things new, and believers are raised to live in the new Jerusalem. What are you looking forward to? What's the future you're hoping for? If you're here today and you're not trusting in Jesus, we're really glad you're here. What Micah says in verse 5 is worth pondering. What's the name of the God you're walking by? Maybe you think the name is nothing. I'm not really following anything. Or maybe the name is myself. I'm my own guide. What's the future that that God holds out for you? God is calling the nations. He calls you to come to him and in Christ to enjoy life forever. Because this is what God's on about. Micah's vision points to a future, the the new Jerusalem coming down and the nation streaming to it. And God is bringing that future into the now. Sometimes we struggle to believe God's doing this, that he's drawing the nations to himself. And we think, oh, God's not saving people these days. He's kind of forgotten how to do that. I reckon that's why when it's good to hear each other's stories. Hear about how people first started following Jesus. When they joined that big number of people coming to God's king and to God's presence in Jesus. It's so encouraging to hear that, yes, God is saving people. This week I got to hear the story of a bloke. Uh, he was 48 and it had nothing to do with God or the gospel previously. Uh, his life, his family was in a mess. And so he thought, look, nothing else is working. Maybe I should give church a shot. And it took some time, uh, the way he tells his story, at least two or three years of being at church, hearing about this Jesus. But after a couple of years, uh, he started trusting in Jesus. And he continues to trust in Jesus. He was telling me this story. It's now been a couple of decades. He's been following Jesus. I find hearing these stories, whether it's someone who who met Jesus later in life or if it's the story of growing up in a family that loved Jesus, I love hearing these stories because they remind me of what I am so quick to disbelieve. That God is drawing the nations to himself, saving people to live by his ways and walk in his paths. I reckon that'd be a great thing for us to do today. Over morning tea, if you are chatting with someone, maybe someone you don't know so well, so you've never heard the story of how they, whether they're a Christian or how they became a Christian, ask them, hey, it's good to meet you. Are you a Christian? And if they are... Ask them how they became a Christian. I reckon it would be really exciting to hear those stories, very encouraging for us. Because God is saving the nations. And although that's a huge thing to think about, the nations, he's doing it as, as he saves people one by one. 
and hearing how God's been doing that encourages us to get on board with God's mission and to speak about Jesus to our unbelieving friends and neighbours with the prayer that God will save and gather them too. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father God, please help us to believe your promises. Help us to hold them firmly in our hearts, knowing you love to gather people from every nation to your heavenly and holy city. Please may your future be the future that gives us hope and fills our hearts and motivates our lives. May we live knowing that eternity begins now. Help us to walk in your name forever and ever. And please be using us in your mission to draw, to draw people from every nation to yourself. Help us remember that you are and continue to be the God who saves. Thank you for saving everyone who calls on your name. And we pray you'd use us, our stories, our words, our weaknesses in your mission to seek and save the lost. Amen.